Hey guys, and welcome to the very first episode of Downtune Dissection. I had a really good conversation with my first guest, Chris Doman, and we just go over, first of all, both of our love of metal and his specifically, and then we get more in depth talking about the album that actually started his love for metal and and sort of his experiences with that. So without further ado, give it a listen. What did the devil give you for your soul, Tommy? Well, he taught me to play this here guitar real good. Oh, son, for that you traded your everlasting soul? Well, I wouldn't use it. Hey, Chris, how you been, man? I've been good, man. Uh, you know, it, it's been, it's, it's been kind of crazy doing all this uh, fun podcasting stuff, and, you know, it's, it's kind of weird. Now we're going, going to the next step, taking it one, one step further. Yeah, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I'm glad to get this launched and out onto the interwebs, as it were. But um, And also just to talk about something that we both love, which is metal as a whole. Hell yes. And, and there's like so many different reasons. Everyone loves it for different reasons. Um, basically, what is the foundation of what keeps you coming back? Well, for me, it's uh, stuff that like challenges me as a, as a musician, stuff that challenges me as a songwriter because that that's one of the things that people always love about metal is how how intricate it can get and how how you kind of have to it, essentially metal is like the rock and roll version of classical music mm-hmm. and you know as someone who again longtime musician longtime songwriter you know like that's the kind of stuff that excites me so right so it's kind of like that energy and almost like the complexity, am I right? Because there's a lot of good music out there and at a production level, a lot of what's popular is, is really impressive, but at the instrumental level, it's almost non-existent. It, it it does seem that way, especially in, in in the modern scene, because, you know, not, not to crap on the top 40 stuff, because I mean, a lot of work goes into it. They, you know, sure. They have a lot of songwriters and they have a lot of producers and a lot of people who, make this one product that only one person really gets credit for in the public consciousness but you know at least but but it, but it can feel inorganic because there are so many cooks in the kitchen whereas in metal you know 99% of the time it's just whoever's in the band just plugging in their instruments and coming up with the craziest effing riffs that they can just craft and you know there's a lot you know of course it's it's all about the chug chug and the double kicks and the rah exactly and <laughs> and what gets really exciting about it too is whenever there's just a standout moment and like it just makes you want to like bang your head and move and just be like oh my gosh i'm invincible right now i can do anything well, and, and that's how, you know kind of one of the other things too is like the the metal community. As much as people like to give it crap, you know you'll you'll never find, uh, in, in my opinion, a better fan base than than metalheads. True. Especially when you're at like a live show, because what what's the number one rule when you're at a metal concert? Everybody participates, man. Everybody, everybody participates, and if the pits if the if the pit is going strong, 
if somebody falls, you pick them up. True. Yeah, absolutely. You, you know, you're not going to find that at a, an EDM rave. You're not going to find that at like a country show. You're only going to find that in punk and metal. And, and at a metal concert, too, because I've done this before, and I honestly would not be surprised if you did, too. But, like, you can walk up to anybody and just have a conversation about the bands that are playing. Hell yeah. And, and, like, I've made friends at concerts before, and I just don't think that you really... I've been to, you know, my fair share of country and, and a couple uh, pop concerts as well. And it's just... You're right. It's not the same vibe. It's not the same feel. And also, I like smaller venues and a lot of you know, the, the good metal bands out there, they tend to play at some of these smaller venues because maybe, you know, unless it's Metallica or Godsmack or whomever, you know, they're not quite drawing the same crowd. Yeah. So a lot of the good metal bands out there, you get these nice small venues where you can show up, have a beer that isn't, you know, $10 or whatever, some ridiculous (laughs) shit that I know is out there, but Oh yeah. So okay. Although although what it is funny, really here. although it is funny you say that because like sure. my oh, sorry, cut you off. Um, no, no, my, my 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 favorite concert experience was kind of the opposite of that. It was okay, all right. You know, it was it was at an outdoor festival. This was um, not fest back in 2012, oh, and nice. the lineup was like. Slipknot, Lamb of God, Deftone, Search Tankian, Machine Head, Cannibal Damn. Corpse, Gojira, Dillinger Escape Plan. And, and and the cool part was this was like two weeks after uh, Randy Blythe had just gotten out of um, his uh, finagle in the Czech Republic. Mm-hmm. So we were the first show that he he was doing. And this is this is so epic. So right before Lamb of God what actually was actually going up, right as Deftones was wrapping up, there was this big thunderstorm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah, there was lightning all across the sky and the, it was raining, but the show still went on. And, you know, so there there we are, like 10,000 people at this thing. And, you know, uh, Chris Adler steps on stage. He starts the intro to Desolation. Then, of course, out come Willie and Mark and John and Randy, and they started kicking ass. And right at the end of that, at the end of their set, of course, they're playing Black Label, The Wall of Death is coming. And I, again, I shit you not, 10,000 people. It was like, it was like the parting of the Red Sea. And then as soon as it, they come in with that one, two, three, four, go, and just the, it was, it was the best experience. I could have ever had, and yeah, That's there were awesome. during the charge. There was about five or six people who fell down, but you want to know what happened? Instantly picked up, kept kept going, and when that wall hit, you wanted to be right in front of that because otherwise you would have felt that shit for days. <laughs> I think you should rub it in a little bit more. I don't think we're jealous <laughs> enough yet. <laughs> no, man, that's awesome. Yeah, that's a really cool experience. The only time I've ever been to. Uh, I've been to two outdoor festivals, and nice. one time I went to see Pillar back in the days oh. when, yeah, they were okay. still kind of in their heyday. It wasn't a bad show, but the frustration was is they stopped because of the rain. I think it was more, it wasn't really their choice. It was the company that had put together the festival, but it was so frustrating because it's like, dude, 
I paid good money to come here and watch these guys. And like, they were doing the best that they could. Like they were out there talking to us and stuff like that. And they were kind of like answering questions. So that was cool. Yes. But it was like minimal, you know, there were so many people there. It's not like they were able to really do a whole lot as far as like fan interaction. But yeah, man, that, that sounds like quite the experience. I'm jealous to say the least. (laughs) Yeah. And well, and, and to be fair, I I only did it because, uh, my, uh, I I missed getting my brother a birthday gift for uh, his birthday back in June of that year. So I'm like, you know what? Okay, it, it's August, but I'm gonna take you for the night of your life. And yeah, it boy, was did uh, it pay off. boy to pay off because especially for me because you know Slipknot and Deftones are two. Well, and Lamb of God are three of my favorite bands of all time. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> dude, that's yeah. Awesome. Wow. Speaking of some awesome bands that we've loved for a long time, basically the whole purpose of this and the reason I asked you to be my first guest is not only like, yes, we both love movies and that was kind of how we originally connected. But what really got us to become friends more than that, I think, was that sort of shared love as far as like the circles that we run. And we're really yeah, we're really the only metalheads um, <laughs> outside of the, the movie nerddom that we share. So what I wanted to talk about is where did that start? Like how, how did you get there as far as what was the album that really started you down the path of loving metal as much as you do? Oh man. Well, to, 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 to give a little bit of context, um, you know, uh, I, I will get a little bit personal, but this is something that I've talked about, uh, quite a few times publicly. So, uh, for for those who who know my story, um, in June of two thousand five, I I attempted suicide, and um, when when I was in my recovery phase, there was you know uh, obviously as I was going through therapy to try to you know get over that trauma and while and I just found myself uh, coming across this this song. And the song itself is not very metal, but it led me to discovering more of this band. And that song that really spoke to me was Breaking the Habit by Linkin Park off of their album Meteora, which um, because the song spoke so personally to me, I couldn't help but find myself wanting to hear more of these words and how they could speak to me. So with that, that led me to come across both Hybrid Theory and Meteora. And from there, because I fell just head over heels in love with uh, the musicality, with Chester's voice, with the message Mm. that uh, he and Mike Shinoda brought in, in spades across all their music. And uh, it, it led to, it, it led to me wanting wanting to see what other kind of hard, heavy music was out there that I could get into and see what else I could discover from that. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Thank you for sharing, seriously, because I think that metal as a whole, part of what makes it so great is the sort of raw emotion of it anyway. Because it goes so hard, it can't help but force some more emotion 
into the music itself and the listener. When you're listening to it, there isn't really, it's hard to just passively be in the, like not be in the moment and just let it be around you. You have to participate in the listening and it's like, okay, this means something. Something went into this, especially in bands where their lyrics come at a personal level and hit you as as a metal fan at a personal level and Meteora was not that album for me just because I did not find out about it until much later in life um but that's awesome really to hear kind of how how it affected you like that and how you were able to sort of engage with something that meant more than just a lot of basic music out there that's kind of just like it's less about connecting on a personal level and more about like making you wish you had the same experience as like whatever Jay-Z is rapping about. Yeah. And well, and, and, and that's the thing too, is like that, that was, that, that's kind of why Lincoln Park was so special, not just for me, but for millions of fans all across the world. And that, that was kind of their, their, their key, the key to their success was, the fact that they kept their lyrics as universal as they did mm-hmm. is ultimately what made it personal. And the beauty of it was, especially on the, especially on Meteora, the lyrics, while being simplistic, have such a resonance with so many people all across the world. Like everybody has at least one track on that record that could make them think. Oh shit! That that kind of that 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 sounds like me. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and and I guess in my case, I just had uh, not just the one track. As I, you know, later learned through listening to the album, I swear, well over a hundred times. Uh, God, I, I yeah, no, I, I lost track after the fiftieth time listening <laughs> of how many times I've sat down and listen to it in all of its 37 minutes of glory. And the thing too is like, while maybe they weren't doing the most original thing ever at the time, they had a very original approach to it. They weren't the first people to mix that sort of rap and rock. That that wasn't what it was about. It was about, this is Linkin Park's take on this kind of music and we're going to approach it from this very raw emotional level that I don't really think, you know, Limp Biscuit fans got. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, sure, you had bands like Korn that were able to successfully do that, but around even around the time when this when Meteor came out 2003, Korn was starting to sound kind of stale and mm-hmm. you know, some of the same thing with uh Limp Biscuit who also had um Results may vary. Released that year, and that album just tanked because, you know, let's be honest, most of the Limp Bizkit crowd grew up. Exactly. But the thing is, Linkin Park knew they had to keep their their lyrics timeless, and that was also a big key to their success. I agree. Yeah, and the level of success that they hit was so well deserved because. Even some of their most famous songs, like a lot of times when you reach that level of success and there's 
songs that just okay you hear them everywhere and it's really easy to be like oh well you only know these couple songs because you're not a real fan and all of this but with with Linkin Park it feels like their best songs are their best songs for a reason and and yes of course you know there's the deep cuts that that I'm sure we'll get into here in a second on this album in particular but let's just talk about let's go into some real standout tracks on this album, Meteora in particular, give me, I would, let's start with your three that just really, you come back to every time and you, you love kind of above the rest. Uh, three that I, that I always will just damn near throw out my voice singing along to, um, you know, obviously breaking the habit, as I mentioned, because it was the song that, literally saved my life and you know and 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 the thing is again that's probably the most tame song on the record but but where where what it lacks in sort of that musical punch it makes up for by kicking you right in the ass with those with the lyrics and you know Chester's uh performance especially around the bridge it's it's just so intense, and well, and, and actually, part of that is because when they were recording the record, uh, everything as far as the instruments that was smooth sailing when, in the studio at Energy Studios in New York, except for Winchester finally had to do his bits because that whole time he was sick. He performed that entire record with all 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 the vocal problems you could you could come up with. But yet he still sounds like a damn god. Yeah, and he does not shy away from some of the more uh, cracked vocals that really th- those are the ones that tend to do damage to singers. And a lot of times they're the ones that people stay away from. But he is basically has a raw approach throughout this entire album. So I actually didn't know that. That's really interesting because. Yeah, I would be afraid about my career going down the drain if I mess up. But <laughs> the fact that he had the dedication to it—that's awesome. Yeah, you know, which, which, which. Speaking of like his ability to just deliver that raw level of vocal is which leads me to my next track, uh, from the inside. Now, again, musically, it's it's fairly simple, but what what's so brilliant about it is that. <clears throat> While within while within a in the, within the context of a chord progression, it is simplistic, but where where it stands out is the fact that Chester takes the melody of the verses and the the chorus, and he just he, he tweaks little notes, tweaks little things that would technically be out of the the scale of the of the song, but he he tweaks it so that way it comes like. But it still flows, you know. Another example, like from from Hybrid Theory, uh, on on the track "One Step Closer," most of that verse is actually not in the scale of the of the instruments, mm-hmm. but it it creates this odd sense of tension, and that's why it it works as well. It does the same thing with "From the Inside." The tension just keeps building up through the verses and through the chorus until we finally hit that bridge where it's just uh 
shit kicking. I won't waste myself on you. You know, and it's, it's ugh. You have that dissonance that builds and builds and builds until finally you get the, that finally yeah, you that get that sort that, of release. Yeah, you get that payoff and it 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 hits you like a ton of bricks. You know, um, and yeah, that's a really really good track for sure. You know, and uh, again, that's another reason why for my third one, I'm actually gonna bring up uh, what is still my favorite, what is still my favorite Mike Shinoda rapping track out of their entire discography and it's um it's a song called hit the floor yes i'm so glad you this is my favorite so i'm so glad you brought it up and and, and i'll briefly mention uh, another one in a moment here but uh this fucking song <laughs> <laughs> like it start and it is and you mentioned that 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 suspension that 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 uh that build up again this is the perfect example of that because here to take with the verses it just starts off with that nice little and of course mike's doing his thing and you know they did the typical sort of you know synthesizing little words of of his of his rap just to give it that sort of tension building effect and it works every single time but then as soon as soon as chester comes in with that what man that's your on top with the chorus and you're just like oh my god (laughs) and at that moment too when he's screaming at what must be the top of his lungs oh the (laughs) the sludge of the guitars is really what draws me and like you just get so caught up like you sink into those guitars the bass on on however that was produced i'm not a producer so i have no idea i'm not an engineer like you but the way that they just drew every bit of grunge from the guitars on that one is incredible and i just love for an album that came out in 2003 and it's only their second effort only their second time out the production on this album is so impressive. Oh my god. Like, well, and 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 you actually have three people to thank for that. There's there's obviously Mike Shinoda who brought the hip hop side of the band to the forefront, but then you also have Mr. Han, the wonderful turntablist slash, you know, keyboardist slash the guy who did all of their electronica side. But then you also have Don Gilmore, the producer on the record, who Granted, most of his work was with, you know, sort of more rock side of things, but because of that, he was able to work with both of them and the three of them just created this trifecta of the perfect blend of rock and hip hop. And it it's so gut punchingly great. It really is, yeah. There's really a sense that when they approach this, I mean, Hybrid Theory is a really good album too. Hell don't yeah. get me wrong. But with this one, they were like, okay, we knew we had something the first time. But I think they sat down and they said, we're not going to accept just okay or just really good or whatever you want to describe Hybrid Theory as, even if that's great or perfect. They weren't going to accept that level of quality. They were going to take what they already knew, what they already had, and push it to the next level. And the sad part is, is 
even the most perfect album, there's still one or two tracks that just don't hit it. So I'm curious what you're about to say, because I really don't know. What are some tracks on here that don't quite hit home the way you might want them to? And it, it, it's really funny to say that because when whenever I listen to this record, and again, I've listened to this thing hundreds, hundreds of times, uh, the first half of the record is always what excites me. Because tracks like Don't Stay, Hit the Floor, and Lying From You uh, are f- fucking phenomenal. True. Easier to Run is, oh, again, just that beautiful example of Chester taking, taking a vocal melody and, you know, tweaking it out of, out of scale. But again, it works perfectly. But then we get to the second half of the record. I'd say from, from the inside, which is... Kind of like the, the the it's the swan song of the heavy part of the record, because then you have nobody's listening and just because like I feel like that and that's my first one like it I want it to work better than it does but the, my my issue is is that there's not enough of the acoustic elements of the track there's a little bit too much of the uh, electronica elements which granted. You know, on, on the same thing sort of happened on the on Hybrid Theory with um, oh, not forgotten. It's the track that was after it, Cure for the Itch. There we go. You know, that's not my favorite track on Hybrid Theory, and you know, neither is nobody's listening for me or because it's just it's it's a little bit too much of the uh electronica without some of the acoustic to back it up, and that also goes for Session, the instrumental. I mean, it, it's fine as a two-minute instrumental piece, but I want it to be a little bit more of a showcase for Mr. Han, and I don't feel like it was, sadly. Yeah, that's the track for me that I am usually tempted to skip over when I listen to Meteora because it's like you said. I mean, okay, so personally, I have nothing against an instrumental track whatsoever. I mean, some no. of the best, like... One of my, or actually, it is my favorite band, Rush. YYZ is so Dude. good, <laughs> and and La Via Strangiata as well. So yes. there's some amazing, amazing, and of course, Call of Cthulhu by, by Metallica, Metallica. On and on and on. There's so many good Orion. And, and when you come into your own, as you're doing something different, if you're going to go for something that has no lyrics, go for it. Make it a four-minute song where you just showcase the shit out of your instrumentals. And in this case, Mr. Han just going for it on his turntables, doing whatever he wants. Let him go nuts and then maybe rein it in here and there. But showcase what you can do because otherwise it just feels like a strange interlude leading into Numb. And it doesn't quite work because... It just feels like you're holding your breath, like, okay, when is it going to be over? Like, when are we going to get to the closer that's going to melt your face off? And and it's just, and it's not a correctly executed, in my opinion. And it's it's funny that you, you mentioned that final point, because I'm going to be completely honest here, guys. Uh-oh. Here comes the hate. <laughs> I, I don't like Numb's placement on the record. Okay. I don't like it as the closer, as as a as a and this is the this is the big single from this album. This is the in the end of Meteora. Exactly. But I 
it, it doesn't work as a, as, a, as a final song, in my opinion. Like, if out of the tracks that currently exist, I honestly think I'd probably maybe put, I'd maybe switch it with From the Inside. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like that would be a, a better song to close such a heavy album on rather than the, again, I hate to say it this way, but the pop song of the record. Right, which it essentially is. And that's not to discredit it in any way. Of course, no. Right. As far as like, yeah, if you want to look at its placement, I think that it might belong somewhere on the middle of the album. Um, even if you want to put it in the final third, that's okay too. I don't know if I would close with it. If anything, knowing what I know, hindsight being 2020, I would probably just put session at the end because then I hear numb and I'm all set. I can just stop the album. I'm all set. But, um, now what I kind of want to transition into is, okay, we talked about what this album means to you and we talked about what went into it as a whole and what makes it so great and what comes up again and again of course is Chester Bennington and my purpose isn't to do any disrespect because honestly the man is a legend in his own right as he well should be but really what I'd like to do is just get because this album meant so much to you I can't imagine that Chester Bennington's loss didn't hit you kind of hard and if you could just talk for a moment about what you think he meant as a whole to the music world to the metal world and his overarching legacy and then also kind of what it meant to you like what was your reflection upon hearing that he had passed oh Oh, man (laughs) I, i i i still remember it clear as day um you know Back when, back when you and I were on, on, on the old channel we used to be a part of, and I remember we were having a conversation with everybody there, and um, and, 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 and new, the news broke to me. And, well, you know, p- pardon the pun, and I, I even remember saying this on when, when I gave my little tribute on the, on the, on the Take 3 podcast. Um, I basically felt numb. For that entire day. Because I was in such shock. I was in such disbelief. And I didn't want to think about it. I didn't want to embrace it. I didn't want to admit it. Because. You know. This was. This was the band that. And he was the. He was the voice. That helped. Make me want to be a better songwriter. That helped make me want to be a better musician. And a better performer. And, um, and I, and I know for a fact I wasn't alone, you know, as I said, there's a reason that Linkin Park was, is one of the best selling bands of all time because that man, his, his voice and his words reached out across to millions of people. And he managed to he, he managed to help people 
find the strength to 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 live to fight another day. And so it just bummed me out when well, it did more than bum me out. It downright depressed me for the better part of a couple of days when the person who helped me with my fight unfortunately lost his. And and as someone who has, has you know, again, I've been down that road and I barely got out. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes the fight is too much. And I remember talking to one one of my best friends about that, and you know he and I well hell the reason he and I became friends in the first place was because of our love of Lincoln Park, and we in eighth grade he and I even did a, a cover of a place for my head, at, at our talent show, he did the Mike part I did the Chester part. I'm glad that video doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Thank goodness. <laughs> um, you know, but uh, we we both honestly just kind of wept over the phone with each other. Mm. And we reminisced. And while obviously neither, neither of us will get the chance to thank him for everything he's done in person we just at least got to thank each other for just being friends because of our love of this, of this band and this singer. Yeah. He is one of the artists that for me, even though I was never the biggest Lincoln park fan, I always admired his honesty and it comes through in his music and it comes through in his interviews, and it really comes through in his interactions with his fans. I've never met the man, but I've seen a lot on, you know, people talking about having met him. One of my good friends in the Army was a huge fan, and he had met him multiple times because he had gone to so many Linkin Park shows. Nice. And, and he said he was just the most genuine guy he had ever met at that level of, like, because he had also met, like, uh, Machine Gun Kelly, and he was like, "Yeah, that dude." And he was like, "He was all right." And he was like, kind of just, you know, not as not as into the fans in such a genuine way as Chester Bennington was. Each time he met him, it wasn't like one or two times was a fluke or something like that. That's just who he is or was as a person. And to see someone like that, because I feel like it's becoming more and more of a rare thing in the industry as a whole to even care about what what the fans think and what they want and, and interacting with them in a genuine way. It's more about, you know, how can I make myself look good as far as like my music and just partying and wanting to live the lifestyle. And that's really what it becomes more about is the lifestyle. But the lifestyle for him was connecting on a personal level through his music and through his interviews and through his interactions with fans. And I think that, that's why even though I had never met him, I wasn't, you know, I liked Linkin Park. I love this album and I love Hybrid Theory. Beyond that, I, I fall off a bit more than like my friend I was talking about and other people as well. So I think that's why I never quite had the same love that a lot of people did. But still, it hits and it's like, man, how 
you know, he was making music essentially up until the day he left us. And if that doesn't show that he just had a dedication to his craft, then I don't know what, what else can. So anyway, I really, really appreciate you coming on, man, to talk about some, uh, some meteor with me and talk metal overall. That was a really great conversation. So I appreciate it because it's just nice when you meet someone else because metal is not the same level of popularity as really any other major um, mainstream music. So it's nice to be able to sit down, talk it out. Absolutely. And, and, and the thing is like, and, and this was just the stuff that got me in, you know, this was my gateway because right, yeah, exactly. of course I've, I've gone on and, Dear God, I think we could hell if if we did this every single week where we just brought a random record and talked about it, uh, that this show would run forever. Cause it's funny you say that, Chris, because oh the boy. plan just might be to bring in. Yeah, actually, I'll I'll steal that segue for it from you. Actually, if you don't mind, please, please, guys, I appreciate you joining us on this first episode. But here is what Downtune Dissection is going to be from this point forward is. It's going to be me and my guest, whether it be Chris, our other friend, Case Cornelesa, who's a Queen fan. So I'd love to get him on to talk some Queen and and hopefully some other people besides, because really the idea is to broaden our scope, look at all different types of metal and music as a whole. I'm not going to exclude because there's definitely some other albums out there by metal artists currently that have side projects and other genres or artists who were previously in metal bands and have switched over to different genres. There's a lot that I'd like to talk about and, and also classic rock albums too, because I think that looking back at the roots of metal as a whole is really important. And it kind of shows um, just for education purposes and appreciation of what the genre is today. I think it's important to look back. So my intent basically is to, yeah, come to you guys every week with a new album, whether it be, a new release or something from way back, man, because we have our own way back machine here and it goes back until Apple music lets me uh, go back any further. But um, that basically wraps up this conversation. Chris, I know you're out there on the social media. I know you do some other stuff. Where can everybody find you? You guys can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Stardust and Letterboxd at Skywalker Dome. You guys can follow this very channel uh, dedicated art on Twitter and Instagram at D2A channel. Please like our Facebook page and uh, stay tuned for the Who Cares Anyway podcast, which uh, Ryan is on from time to time when he can. But yeah, you guys can uh, tune into this week on the Who Cares Anyway podcast, where if you guys remember last week, we did our we did our non-spoiler review of Avengers Endgame, which uh, Ryan sadly had to miss. But uh, this week we have hopefully Ryan on to do a full spoiler discussion of Avengers Endgame because by this point y'all will either be seeing it or have seen it no excuses let's wrap up the MCU the right way absolutely man Uh, I'm really excited well that's gonna do it for us today here on Downtune Dissection thank you guys so much for listening 
please go ahead, give us a like and subscribe. And also head down to the comments and let us know what albums you guys want us to talk about coming up here on this show because there's so much to cover and um, I'd really like to know what you guys are interested in hearing us talk about. So we'll see you guys next week and until then, see you in the pits.